First off, before we get into things, I want to tell you that I appreciate all of your support. Apple Pod, Spotify, YouTube. Don't forget to rate and review. Also, if you're on YouTube right now watching, listening, like. Give that thumbs up, comment, and subscribe. We're trying to get to 1,000 subscribers by the end of this month. It would mean a ton to us to build that community. So don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube. All right. You know, I, I want to talk about this report from Phil Perry on the next Pats podcast yesterday that I think should concern every single Patriots fan. This is deeply concerning. Earlier this week, we discussed the options that Robert Kraft would have to try to handle the trade deadline. How will they run the trade deadline this year? Now, the options were Matt Groh, who is the GM right now, kind of, sort of. We all know Belichick makes the calls, but you could put Matt Groh in charge, full autonomy, with Robert Kraft veto power. I mean, we don't want Grow running wild like Hulkamania in the 1980s throughout the facility. But, you know, Kraft would have that veto power. You could have Kraft give Belichick a mandate and say, this is now about the future. This is about 2024. Act accordingly, Bill. Like he gave Bill a mandate to trade Jimmy Garoppolo in 2017, and Bill begrudgingly did so. Or you could just say, Kraft, run this thing on his own. One of the options that I did not even want to dig into much was Bill Belichick running this ship, running the program. I did not even want to think about that or touch it, even though we knew that it was a possibility, if not probability. Let's get to Phil Perry's report. Again, this was on the Next Pats podcast. Phil does a tremendous job. I have a lot of respect for Phil Perry. Now, I transcribed this from the pod yesterday, and here's what Perry said regarding Bill Belichick and the trading deadline. What I'm hearing about the trade deadline, Belichick is going to want to do what Bill Belichick does, which is win every time his team is on the field. We understand they're not hoisting a Lombardi trophy this year. Even with that being the case, he's going to try to win. Would he be willing to make a trade? Of course, but, and here's a big, 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 big but, but when it comes to trading impact players, it's not something he's going to be all that fond of. So right now, Phil Perry is telling us that, yes, Bill Belichick will actually run the program, run the operation for the trading deadline. And according to Perry, Belichick's primary focus is winning football games right now. His primary focus is not 2024, 2025. From what Phil is hearing, Bill is concerned about 2023. On top of that, as I just read to you, the approach from what Perry has heard is that Belichick would be willing to make trades but not necessarily impact trades, not trades of impact players. What does that mean? Well, Phil goes on about this during his podcast. Again, you can check it out. But Phil mentions guys like Jalen Mills. Jalen Mills, would you trade Jalen Mills for a sixth-round pick? Sure. Would you trade Kyle Duggar? No. Would you trade Josh Uche? Probably not. So Bill is going to be willing to get rid of the spare parts on this roster that I think is full of more spare parts than Belichick realizes. And this is a disaster in the making. This is deeply concerning. Robert Kraft, if they lose on Sunday, 
And I'll get into the game tomorrow, but just let me tell you now, like you probably know, I'm not going to give them much of a chance to win on Sunday against the Bills. If they lose on Sunday, and this is how Belichick is going to handle the deadline, and Kraft has had discussions, I'm sure of it. I'm sure Kraft has talked to Belichick, and if he hasn't, when he talks to Belichick, if this is the way that Belichick is going to handle the deadline, it is time to take the keys from Bill. You have to take the keys from Bill Belichick. You sit down with Belichick, and you tell him that you are taking over the personnel. The personnel is no longer under his purview. You can't allow this to happen. You cannot allow a 71-year-old head coach who is trying to beat Don Shula's record that seems to be impossible to reach at this point. You can't have that guy who's put together this offensive roster a calamity, a joke, a horrendous lack of weapons for a physically limited quarterback with no elite skill. You've put this mess together. You cannot allow Belichick to have the full autonomy to make these moves once you know that his primary focus is 2023. This hasn't always been the case with Belichick. Belichick has said in the past that he'll do what's best for the team in the present, future. He looks forward to things as well. If this is tunnel vision, Belichick tunnel vision, and the only thing he cares about is winning football games in 2023, even though you're one in five and have almost zero chance to make the playoffs, and you've got the Bills and the Dolphins coming up, you still have the Chiefs later this season. If his primary focus is to keep this team intact for 2023, when a third of the roster is about to walk into free agency, that is more malpractice from your GM. That is a dereliction of duty from Belichick. And this is the problem. I mentioned this earlier in the week. This is the problem with your antiquated structure. You can't have your GM be your head coach. Can't do it, won't do it, shouldn't do it. Because this is what happens. When you have a head coach who's 71 years old, who's trying to hang on to his legacy, full of pride, trying to show people that he knows better than them, that his philosophy can still work, who is unwilling to look in the mirror and realize that he has made a number of bad calls on the offensive side of the football, including offensive coordinators, changing schemes, and the talent, seemingly incapable of keeping himself accountable because if he kept himself accountable and told himself the truth, you would not pick Juju Smith-Schuster, who is on one leg over Jacoby Myers. You would not pick Devontae Parker over DeAndre Hopkins. This would be malpractice from Robert Kraft. Kraft has to take the keys. If you know that Belichick is tunnel vision like this, you cannot allow him to run this deadline. And if Bill has a problem, tell him to take his ball and go home. And I know, I've said it, that would cause chaos, and I don't think you can fire Bill during the season, and I still feel that way. But you cannot allow Belichick to leverage you and leverage the future of this franchise by not doing what's best. For the New England Patriots. This is not about Bill Belichick. This is about the New England Patriots. That's my message if I'm Kraft to Bill. Bill, appreciate what you've done. Respect you. I've paid you a ton of money to do your job. And you have done your job for 20 years. As good as anybody has for that length of period in NFL history. But the time has come. We need to look towards the future. And if you are incapable or unwilling to do that, 
you no longer have the call on personnel. And if he bitches and he whines and he complains, oh, freaking well. You made this bed. Now you're going to lie in it. If it comes down to the choice of, Bill, you either give us the personnel power. Well, that's not the right way to say it. Either we take that personnel power from you and you stay as the head coach, or we take the personnel power from you and you just want to leave and cry and complain, then that's what's got to happen. You cannot, you cannot limit the potential of a long-term rebuild because you're going to acquiesce to a 71-year-old head coach who has seemingly failed to evolve with the game. You just can't do that. And Belichick has preached about how it's about the team, it's about the team, it's about the team. Yes, it's about the team, Bill. It's about the team now and in the future. But what's most important, Bill? The future is most important. You have like a 3% chance of making the playoffs, bro. The time has come. We've got to make some big boy decisions, put the big boy pants on, and make deals that make us better going into the future. Because this season is a debacle. Again, if they lose, uh, there's like a 1% chance that they can somehow, someway save this season. And if they go out there with a spirited effort against Buffalo and you give them Miami and they compete against Miami or God forbid beat Miami, then we can reevaluate this situation right before the deadline. But if this is going the way we think it's going to go and you get beat by Buffalo, then you've got to pull the trigger of your craft. You can't sit on your hands. The head coach GM structure doesn't work because the head coach is worried about winning football games. Said that earlier in the week. I stand by it. Head coach Bill Belichick is telling GM Bill Belichick to go screw right now. He's focused on the Shula record. He's focused on how can we beat the Bills this weekend. He's not focused about what this looks like in 2024, especially considering all of the talk about how he's probably going to be gone after this season if it continues to fall off the cliff. Don't you think he wants to try to save his job? Don't you think he wants to try to save his security? Don't you want to, you know, don't you think he wants to try to hold on, like I said, to that legacy? The head coach is overtaking the GM, and that's why the structure doesn't work, and that's why nobody else does it in football. You just can't have that. You need a GM who is doing what's best for the team. And we're not talking about what's best for that specific team, that specific year. Not always. We're talking about what is the best situation for the franchise, short-term and long-term. And everybody would agree right now, you lose to Buffalo, you're one and six heading to Miami. The best thing for this organization is to move the hell on to push forward and to think forward and to address this roster as best as you can to try to make it competitive next season. That's why you need the split. You need the line. The GM and the head coach can work together, but you can't have them sharing the brain to the point that they're the same guy. I don't think that's going to work. And it would be irresponsible to the program to run with Belichick's win-now agenda. It'd be irresponsible to the fans, to the people that pay money. I paid hundreds of dollars to go to that Saints game a couple of weeks ago, and I left. I left about 45 minutes before the game ended 
and thousands of other people left. This is not about Belichick. This is about the Patriots. It is about the fans. It is about getting this right. And if Belichick is stubborn and selfish and focused on win now, get him the hell out of the GM chair. Because that would be the worst thing you can do as an operation. They lose to Buffalo. They lose to Miami. You're looking at one and seven. And you're going to hold on to these guys that are walking into free agency? Again, you don't have to trade all of them. I'm okay with keeping a couple, as I mentioned earlier in the week. But Josh Uche, what are we doing? Kyle Duggar, who you've miscast because you failed to find somebody who could replace Devin McCourty? The win-now agenda is crazy talk. If you lose, like we anticipate on Sunday, win-now is nuts. And some would say even if you win. Look, if you win and you're 2-5, and I'll see what happens in Miami. There's no rush. Deadline's not until the 31st. But you have to be anticipating this is going to go badly. You have to be planning to trade those parts, those pieces. Priority number one is asset management picks. And if you think you're going to get compensatory picks, if these guys move on and sign deals elsewhere, Phil Perry, again, he dives into that in the next Pat's podcast. He's also written about this at NBC Sports Boston. That's not necessarily the case. You have $100 million in cap space. And the way the compensatory formula works, one out, one in. If you sign a big-name free agent, you don't get the compensatory pick for your free agent signing elsewhere. And you would imagine that this is going to be a very busy offseason given the roster, how this season is going, and the money that they have to spend. So you can't even mess around with the compensatory formula. doesn't work. You lose to Buffalo, Kraft has to go up to Belichick and say, that's it, that's done. Repercussions be damned. Time to move on. More Patriots talk as we keep rolling. Rate and review. If you're listening to Spotify, Apple Pods, I appreciate you. Also, YouTube, of course, I say this. It takes one second. If you're watching, click the like. I mean, we got like over 2,000 views on Monday's video, and I think we had 200 likes. It's like one-tenth of the people are clicking that thumbs up. It just takes a second. Give us that like. Also, subscribe. We're trying to get to 1,000 subscriptions by the end of this month. Fingers crossed. And comments. I love the comments. I go back and forth with all of you. All right, we're going to get into uh, Devontae Parker and what he had to say yesterday, not after the game on Sunday, but what he said yesterday. He had a chance for a mea culpa. Did he take advantage? We'll talk about that and how uh, Devontae is, is, a, is a microcosm of the much bigger Patriots problem and problems. But first, you know, I love challenging echo chambers. I love challenge. You know, just because something is said over and over and over again, doesn't make it true. And so I'm going to have some fun before we get to Devontae and some of the bigger issues to challenge a Mac Jones echo chamber. Now, I'll say this as the caveat, as I always do. I'm not telling you that Mac is the future. I'm not telling you that Mac is great. From day one, I've been consistent on Mac Jones. He's an average to above average quarterback who is a pocket passer with zero elite physical traits 
And somebody has to understand that he's a quarterback that needs a competent offensive line, legitimate weapons, especially a legitimate number one in a run game to have a chance to be at his best. And even at his best, again, he's a slightly above average quarterback, 12 to 15 in the league. And that's what guys are. If you think there's a lot of great quarterbacks, you just haven't been watching the league. So that's the caveat. This is more attacking the echo chamber. This is finding the falsehood of statements that just get repeated and repeated and repeated by a lot of fans and some in the media. So let's challenge this echo chamber before we get to Parker and the bigger issues that are invading this Patriots program. You know, yesterday I said that Mac played better late in 2022 than people remember. And some would say, what? Because the echo chamber, the narrative is that Mac has sucked since the end of 2021. I've pushed back on that. I've countered that. And, and now I, I believe I have evidence to counter the echo chamber and that narrative. The idea that Mac Jones sucked from late 2021 until this point is just wrong. It's wrong. Now, he was awful against Dallas. He was awful against New Orleans. Looked like a broken quarterback. Slightly better last week against the Raiders. Still not sure if he has suffered irreparable damage and is going to be broken for the rest of his Patriots career. Still not sure. That is absolutely on the table. But the idea that he has sucked since 2021 is BS. And I'll tell you why. If you take Mac Jones's performances, Post that Chicago debacle on Monday Night Football, when he was benched and Bailey Zappi was thrown in and the, and the coach embarrassed the quarterback on national television. Go back to the game following that Chicago debacle on Monday Night Football up to the Dallas game, okay? So that chunk of games, I think it's like 17 games. That chunk of games, or it might be 13, the, the stretch post-Chicago debacle up until looking like a broken quarterback against Dallas. Do you know what Mac Jones did as the quarterback of this team? Do you know what his statistics were? I'll tell you. And this is why that echo chamber and narrative is full of crap. Mac Jones, post-Chicago, up until the Dallas broken game, completed 65% of his passes through 17 touchdowns and seven interceptions. His passer rating was over 88 now, I'm not telling you that the passer rating is tremendous. But given the circumstances, the conditions that he was playing with, all of the stuff we've talked about, I think every single one of you, even the Mac haters, I think every single one of you, the ones that want to blame Mac for everything or most of this disaster, even you would take 65% completion percentage, 17 touchdowns, seven interceptions, and a passer rating of 88.4. Because if you get that from your quarterback and the other components of your football team are working like you want them to work, run game, legitimate wide receiver weapons, a defense that is top five to eight, because that's what is supposed to be this team. Top five to eight defense, a really good run game, a good offensive line, in at least average quarterback play. That is your recipe with Mac Jones to get to 10 or 11 wins. That's how you get there. 
Mac, during that stretch, held up his end of the bargain. Fact. I just told you. Given the circumstances that he was dealing with, those numbers are fine. The premise is Mac is average. Between average and above average, maybe slightly above average. Sometimes you'd say, oh, that, that guy's an above average quarterback. You say, he's just barely above that line. However you want to deal with the gradations. 17 touchdowns, seven picks, over an 88 passer rating, 65% completion rate. One last note here before we move on to Devontae Parker and the bigger problems with the Patriots. Uh, Mike Cadlick of EEI had a transcript of uh, Dan Orlovsky's visit with Jones and Mego with Arcan yesterday. And I thought this was a, a fascinating point by Orlovsky. Mac has thrown 42 touchdowns. Not a single one of those touchdown throws has been to a pro bowler. Not one. Brock Purdy has 24 touchdown passes. 19 of those 24 touchdown passes have been to pro bowlers. All right. Devontae Parker, microcosm of a, a much bigger problem and problem. So Parker, we all know how he handled the post game on Sunday, which was a joke. We all know that he dropped the football that might have changed that game and, and maybe changed everything we've talked about over the last four or five days. So Parker had an opportunity to tell all of us that he didn't handle the post game correctly. This was his opening for a mea culpa. Mike Reese caught up with Parker in the locker room yesterday. And do you know what Devontae said? Devontae gave credit to the defender. Again, unwilling to take accountability for just dropping the football. It hit him in the hands. Instead, Parker said yesterday that the defender tugged his arm and there was contact, but as a wide receiver, you're supposed to fight through it, Devontae. Said that, oh, the the cornerback tugged his arm, and the the defensive back made a good play. So it wasn't that Parker dropped the football. It was that the defender made a good play. This guy's a joke. That's a joke. Get him out of the locker room. Give me a freaking break. He had days to think about this, and that's the best he could come up with? The ball hit you in the hands, a perfect throw from your quarterback to possibly change that game and maybe even change this season, although unlikely because you have Buffalo and Miami. But opportunity was a knocking. You dropped the ball. Everybody saw you drop the ball, literally and figuratively. And the best you could come up with, with days of sleep on this, is that the defensive player made a good play. That's horrendous. And Devontae Parker is a shining example of the downfall of the overall operation. Number one, you have a misevaluation of the player. You think he's better than he is. How many times could we say that? Number two, Parker actually dictated. Belichick allowed Parker to dictate personnel decisions. How? Because Parker cried and complained and moaned and was bitchy while the Patriots were talking to DeAndre Hopkins. So what ended up happening? I'm not going to fault Parker for the Patriots not signing Hopkins. But because Parker was bitchy, Belichick decided to give him a contract extension after the worst season of his career to keep him happy. Let's keep him happy. 
You allowed Parker's attitude to dictate a contractual decision and give that guy an extension. Awful. Awful. Thirdly, are there going to be any repercussions? Is Parker going to be sat down? Is he going to have less snaps? Bad performance on the field. Even worse performance in the locker room dealing with the media. A failure to take accountability and stand up. Parker said he did not even have a discussion with Mac Jones about the incompletion. Zero relationship between your supposed number one receiver and your quarterback. There's no reason to keep Parker on the field aside from Belichick trying to prove to everybody that he made the right decision and first acquiring Parker and then giving him an absurd extension because he was upset. There's zero reason for it. Are there going to be repercussions? Because if not, that sets the precedent, right? Belichick, who would sit Wes Welker for making Rex Ryan foot jokes in a playoff game. You fast forward to 2023, and Belichick is so desperate to win games, he's keeping Parker on the field, even though he's been abysmal. On the field and off the field. Bigger problems within this institution, folks. The lack of accountability. I mean, do these guys get it? Some of them do. But, but is Belichick forcing their hand to get it? Not to me. Parker's still rolling out there and playing snaps, tons of snaps. What's he worried about? He's getting paid and, he, and he's playing, even though he, he's lazy and dropping footballs. And here's the funny thing before we move on to something else, give you the latest on the Red Sox GM search. Doug Kide, if you go back to the DeAndre Hopkins negotiations, Doug Kide at the time, he reported that the guy that would have been out if Hopkins came in, was not Devontae Parker. The plan, according to Kide, was that the Patriots would sign Hopkins and look to move Kendrick Bourne. I repeat, <laughs> the plan, if they signed Hopkins, was to remove Bourne and keep Parker. How bad? How bad? is the evaluation on the offensive side. Bourne is your only receiver right now that is doing anything. All right, the latest on the Sox GM search in seconds. First, like, rate, review, and subscribe. YouTube, give us that thumbs up. Throw a comment in there and subscribe. Here is the uh, latest on the Red Sox GM job. A lot of people are bailing. A lot of people have family reasons for not talking to the Red Sox, and I hope their families are, are great. But it seems to me a little bit coincidental that you have name after name after name taking their name out of it and saying, well, family reasons. James Click talked about him earlier in the week, the Blue Jays. He's out, family reasons. John Daniels, former Rangers GM, he's out, family reasons. Raquel Ferreira, who has been with the Red Sox organization for like 20 years, she took her name out of the running. She took her name out of getting a promotion. Again, family reasons. So another name that's surfaced, Craig Breslow, old friend Craig Breslow. Here's Patrick Mooney 
uh, uh, from The Athletic on Breslow. Breslow has been in advanced discussions with the Red Sox. That's according to sources familiar with the uh, search process. Interviewing for their number one job in baseball operations. Breslow's 43, grew up in Connecticut. He still lives in suburban Boston with his family. Maybe he listens or watches the podcast. If so, hello, Craig. Theo Epstein uh, personally recruited Breslow to join the Cubs front office. Breslow became an authoritative figure in the pitching department, earning a series of promotions that most recently made him an assistant general manager and the senior vice president of pitching. He earned broad responsibilities overseeing a rebuild of the organization's pitching development infrastructure, evaluating free agents, sorry about that, and staying close to the day-to-day operations of the Major League Club. Uh, Breslow's tenure has been the Cubs' accumulate big gains, has seen the Cubs accumulate big gains on the pitching side of the organization. So there's uh, Breslow. few thoughts on this. They would be going with potential versus experience. Breslow has not had the number one job in any baseball operations department, similar to Heimblum. I'm not telling you that Breslow would fail, but it seems like the Red Sox, I think out of necessity, because all of these other experienced names keep turning them down, have realized that if it's not going to be an internal promotion, they're likely going to have to bring somebody in who, like Bloom, has never actually had the head job at the tippity-top of the program. So experience versus potential. Secondly, uh, you know, when you look at the autonomy, is Breslow going to come in, if he does come in as the number one guy, quote-unquote, is he actually going to have the full autonomy? It begs the Alex Cora questions, how they've already made changes to their staff. So how much say will Breslow truly have, which I think has been one of the problems uh, with this search. He's local, so that's good. Pitch for the Red Sox, uh, involved with the Cubs. So he's been in big markets. I like the big market experience. That is something that Bloom did not have. Breslow has handled the media, of course, as a player. So he does have the local ties, and he does understand the power of the market. The best thing about this, though, The best part about a possible Breslow hiring is that his background on the field and in the front office has to do with pitching. And I've said this since the end of the season. The Red Sox number one priority should not be Shohei Otani at DH. Their number one priority should be pitching. So if you do hire Breslow and he's got the number one job and he has the autonomy, He has the track record of identifying good pitching. And that would be very important to where this franchise is right now. So I love that aspect of the Breslow possibility. All right. Like, rate, review, subscribe, Apple Pod, Spotify, YouTube, of course. Check us out. Give us that thumbs up. Uh, Throw in a comment as well. Always appreciate your time and can't thank you enough for the support. We'll be back tomorrow with some numbers on this Bills-Patriots matchup. And I'm sure some other thoughts as more reports come out about this team and what's happening. Until then, enjoy your day. It's the Nick Cattle Show.